Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, good morning again. How are we doing this morning? So glad you're here. I hope you uh, enjoyed seeing the kids and hearing about what they are doing. It's an amazing thing that the Children's Ministry does for our kids and... uh, Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to ask if you got your Bible to get your Bible out. We're going to be in Isaiah 25 this morning. You know, we've been we've been in the scriptures. We've been in talking about the the all the oracles that Isaiah has given about all the nations around Judah. And obviously, then we last week we talked about the whole uh, the fact that God's going to judge the whole world. So today we get a, a little bit lighter, uh, a little bit lighter topic. But, and I say that, and the first thing I'm going to talk about isn't exactly light. You know, while we live here on this earth, we are all at some time going to have to deal with death. Obviously, unless Christ returns in our lifetime, uh, we each will face either our own death or the death of someone very close to us. And it's not something that we look forward to. Uh, even if we're prepared for it, it still is difficult to face. You know, 2007, there was a movie that came out called Grace is Gone. And in this movie, Grace is a mother of two young girls. She's a, she's a wife of a, of a husband. She's also a sergeant in the Army. And she's on active service. And while she is away, her husband tries to maintain the home, take care of the kids, try to do everything that needs to be done. And one day, because she's in Iraq, one day he hears somebody knocking on the door and he gets that visit that every military family dreads to ever get. And they come and they tell him that they're sorry to tell him that his wife has been killed in action. And as he's soaking that in, he hasn't told his daughters yet. And on a whim, Without any explanation, he decides to surprise his daughters while they're driving down the road. They're going to go to Florida, go to their favorite amusement park. And no, it's not Disney. It's another amusement park. And along the way, they have adventures. And, and, and they stop at his mother's house. And his 12-year-old daughter begins to realize that there's something not quite right. And there's some great moments where they're dealing with what's going on. But it's not till the end of the trip that he actually deals with the death of his wife. And it's a very moving story, and and many of us could probably relate to some of the experiences because he has to he has to has to digest all that's happened, just like we all will have to do one day. But unlike us, unlike him, who who basically gets it pretty well resolved by the end of the movie, ours takes longer. It takes longer for us to adjust to the loss of a loved one. But see, you and I, we we long for that day. We long for that day where we won't have to worry about death anymore. We won't have to suffer in this world under this veil of death. There's been a promise made to us that one day death won't matter anymore. One day, God's going to wipe away every tear, and death will be destroyed forever. And in our verses today, in Isaiah 25, that's what we're going to see. 
we're actually going to see four amazing things that are celebrated. First, we're going to see God's sovereign plan. God has a sovereign plan that has been laid down since the foundations of the world, and it is working its way out. It, everything works towards this plan. Even the, the, the schemes of Satan himself seem to always work towards God's plan, no matter what. Second of all, we're going to see this, that God has this amazing ability to convert and transform people's lives. Sometimes even those people who are ruthlessly against God. God can change them to the point where they praise him and they submit to him. The third thing we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus, we're going to see Jesus, we're going to celebrate with Jesus this wonderful victory over death and the grave. And then finally, we're going to celebrate God's terrifying power to bring the nations and individuals who refuse to submit to God and to crush them. And it's interesting because chapter 25 actually begins with a psalm. So if you open your Bibles, 25, Isaiah 25, we're going to start with verse 1. This is actually a psalm. It says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. The breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of the cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. Let me just pray. Father, we we praise you for, for your plan. We praise you for your rule in our lives in this world. We thank you for your love for us and how you're working in us, sometimes through us and in spite of us, but Lord, you are, your plan is coming to fruition. And because of that, we don't have to have fear. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen in this world tomorrow because we know who is in charge. We know who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we continue to explore this chapter of Isaiah, Father, may our hearts be filled with joy of what is to, we're all going to experience one day as your children. We praise you and we thank you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. We've got to understand, we've got to understand God's purpose. Because everything that God does is formed and guided by that purpose. And his, one of his main part of that purpose is his goal for us is that we would praise him for his glory. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he tells us, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is in Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. See, even when God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, according to his plan, to the praise of his glorious peace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
God has a plan, and His plan is for us to praise Him, to worship Him, to bring Him glory. And if you go down to verse 12, it says, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. You want to know what your purpose is in life? Your purpose in life is to bring God glory. That's our purpose in life. The psalm in Isaiah begins with this confession that, that Yahweh, God, is he's, he, he alone is God. There is no other God than Yahweh. None. And if, if you and I, if we put our trust in Him, he will, we will never have a reason to be ashamed. We, don't, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. And that's what Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.6. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and, the, and the great thing, I don't know about you, but I have, I have plans. And recently, I'll be honest with you, my plans have not worked out the way I wanted them to work out. I planned to have things done at my house months ago. And guess what? They're still waiting for me to do them. And believe me, some of it is my own fault because I, you know, I just didn't do them. But a lot of it is because life happens. Life happens. And things just don't always work out the way we want them to. But I want you to know that God's plan doesn't fail. God, God doesn't sit there and say, oh, I didn't think about that, and now i got to push everything back. No, he has a schedule. It's, he's working that schedule, and it's going to work out exactly the way it's supposed to. Even when it seems to us that things aren't quite going the way we think they should. We all, have, you know, we all probably at one time think, you know, why, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is this happening? That's not how I would do it. Yeah, but you're not God. You're not as wise as God. You're not all-knowing, you're not all-powerful, and you're not omniscient. You're not everywhere. You're not omnipresent. God rules over all the nations. We saw that in all the oracles that Isaiah had presented to us previously, that God is ruling over the nations. He has, he has stated that these things are going to happen to these nations, and those things did happen. If if, if God says something and it didn't happen, that means he wasn't ruling over it. But it did. We know that from history. We've seen these oracles. He sits on the throne above the earth that's full of people who seem like grasshoppers to him. And yet, in his majesty and his power, you and I get the amazing privilege of knowing him personally. We have the ability to go to Him and pray to Him and to feel His presence. We have the, the joy and the honor of worshiping Him. And we have the great joy of telling others about Him and seeing them come to believe. He's a personal God. I mean... We have to ask ourselves, can we, like Isaiah, say, Yahweh is our God? Can we say it? And I don't mean, and I don't mean, do we believe in God? I mean, the demons believe in God and they shudder. I mean, it's not that we just believe, but do we have this intimate, intensely personal relationship with Him? Do you, do you feel lost when you don't pray 
during the day? Do you hunger for His Word, which is how He speaks to us? Do you want to know everything you can about Him? Do you long to see Him face to face? Does your life and your thoughts reflect that you are living your life before Him by faith? In verse 2 and 3 of this, of this beginning psalm, we see that they're talking about a city. And, and you and I humans have a propensity to gather together in cities. I don't know about you. I, I don't really like living in the big city. I've been to New York. I like visiting. But I wouldn't want to live there. Too many people. Just too many for me. I enjoy smaller towns. I liked Fort Wayne. It was pretty small. I like Ossian. It's even smaller. But there's this propensity. I mean, you go back to what happened at the, at the, in the, the plain of Shinar at the beginning, towards the beginning, you know, after the flood and people begin to increase in numbers. And what do they do? God says, spread out throughout the earth. But what do they do? They come together and they build a city. They do the exact thing they weren't supposed to do. We, we have that need, that desire to be together. And what we do is we put a wall around our city, sometimes physical, sometimes metaphorical. And, and we think that, you know, within these walls we're safe. We're secure. And see, even if we don't live in a huge metropolis, we build houses and we, we feel safe in our houses. And, but St. Augustine, he writes about a place called the city of God. And then he also writes about a place called the city of man. See, what you and I are building, if we're building our kingdom here on earth, we're building the city of man when we should be building the city of God, which is the kingdom of heaven. And those two are pitted against each other. The world is building an empire, and, and in that empire they take advantage of weaker people. You see, you and I are supposed to build the city of God, the kingdom of God, in our lives, so that we are seeking the weak, and we're helping the weak. We're lifting them up. We can see in verse 2 that God's going to destroy the city of man. We, we saw that last week when it talked about God's judgment on the whole world. But then what we, we see is this amazing miracle of God in verse 3 because God's judgment of the city of man will transform those who are ruthless and those who are powerful to the point where they will fear God. They will worship Him. God has the power to change lives if we allow him to. But he doesn't force himself on us. We have to choose to allow him to change us and continue to change us as he sanctifies us as we walk with him. And then in verse 4 we see this we see that the, the world, you know, is is full of storms. The world is full of a tempest that's blowing. And, and you know, those who are most affected, if, if you look at, if you look at any time you look at there's a natural disaster, whether there's a hurricane or whether that's like the flooding in Tennessee, who is most affected by that? Is it the guy who, who lives on the hill, who has, you know, is insured to the, to the nth degree? No, it's the poor. It's those that have nothing or have just enough to survive who suffer in the storm, the poor and the needy. And they stand in strong contrast to the strong and the ruthless nation. 
In the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our weakness, God is our refuge and our stronghold. Those who are, who are weak, who are poor, they don't have the resources. They don't have the insurance policies to cover what they lose. Unfortunately, the government now steps in and does all that. I used to work in the insurance business. I would hate to try to sell flood insurance today because now the government comes in and takes care of it. They, you don't need flood insurance unless the mortgage company says so. But see, when we're weak, God is our refuge and our stronghold. God's going to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And while the ruthless will sing victory songs over those they're oppressing, in the end, their songs are going to be silenced. God is going to silence their songs. And instead of the songs of the ruthless and the strong, it's going to be the songs of of the weak and the poor who are singing praises to the Lord. Praises to the one who saves them. In the next section, I want you to, I want you to think, about, think about the best party you've ever gone to. A party where you know people and it's a great meal and you're sitting down and you're having fun, you're laughing, you're just so joyful to be there. Could be with family, could be with friends, doesn't matter. But think about that best event you've ever been to. And I want to tell you that that pales in comparison to what we're going to experience. Because in verse 6, he talks about this. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, an aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is, is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Now, what is that? What is, this, what is this veil that's cast over us? What do we all live under? He tells us, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. That last line, for the Lord has spoken. If you remember over the last two weeks that we've talked about this, every time Isaiah will say, for the Lord has spoken, he says, so saith the Lord. We've got to be careful saying that because we've got to make sure that that's what God said. I think too many times some pastor said, so saith the Lord, and it's not true. It's so saith them. But these are God's words that are given to Isaiah, and he says, so saith the Lord. God says it's going to happen. He has ordained it. It will occur. And we, we see this change, this shift in the scene from a time of worship and praise to a time of feasting at the banquet of God that he's going to hold on Mount Zion. It's the first thing that to happen on this mountain after the judgment of the world is a banquet that's going to be a joyous time of celebration about God's rule over the world, over the nations. If you if you know your your if you know Revelation if you know the prophecy what's going to happen is um, and we talked about it a little bit last week when God is is judging the earth that all the mountains are going to move and, and it is believed that it will be completely flat and the tallest mountain is going to be Mount Zion which is in Israel and that is where we will all go for the marriage supper of the Lamb 
And that's what this is talking about. Because this gathering is not just the 12 tribes. It is for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And how do I know that? Because if we go to Revelation 19, we can see it. What John sees, and it's the same thing that Isaiah is describing. Revelation 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Or, God has spoken. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. He's talking, an angel is talking to him. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want to sometime. It's in my it's in my calendar. I got to get this done. Is I, I want to put together a video of comparing comparing this and all of Jesus's life, what is what the major events in his life, to the ancient ritual of a Jewish wedding, from the betrothment to the feast, and on. And you'll see that this is exactly what's happening. We will have a feast with Christ. In, in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. That's the first thing that occurs. But the second thing that occurs will be even more amazing, along with the blessings of food and all the people and the joy that we have of being with Christ and being with those who have gone before, those who have died. God's going to do some additional things. He's going to first going to swallow up death. Death has been dogging us since the garden. That's the veil that is over us. You and I all... We all, humanity, will suffer death unless Christ comes back. There will be no more death, no more dying. Revelation 20:14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is the complete removal of death. And it's central to the establishment of God's sovereign reign. For eternity. Because remember, when did death enter into the world? Death entered into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. It is a it is a result of the curse. It is a result of the sin. It is over us now because we're all descendants of Adam. It's punishment for the enemies of God who justly deserve death. And they justly deserve not just physical death, they deserve the lake of fire, which is eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. You, you and I, we hurt because we're separated from those we've loved who've gone. But even worse will be the fact that people who will be separated for eternity from those that, have gone, that they've loved who are in Christ. And even worse is being separated from the presence of God. The world itself feels general grace. The general grace, it rains on the, the sinner as well as the holy. God doesn't just bless those who are righteous. He blesses the whole world. The day will come where only the righteous will be left. And while not expressly given in these verses, we can say that death must also include not only the end of death, but the removal of sinful people from the earth. 
says in verse 20, uh, chapter 21 of verse 4 of Revelation, it says, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And if that wasn't enough, we're not going to shed any more tears. If, if, even though death is gone, now we won't even shed tears. Tears of oppression, tears of sickness, tears of pain, tears of disappointment, tears of loneliness, tears of rejection, tears of military defeat, tears of financial trouble. All the kinds of losses that we experience are gone obsolete in the kingdom of God. And how do we know this is going to happen? How can we be assured that this is what we have waiting for us if we walk in Christ? God has spoken. It's going to happen. Back to Isaiah. Verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground to the dust. What we, we see in this third section of this chapter is first a, a declaration of trust in God, followed by the reason why people can sing and rejoice in God's salvation. Why can we? Because God is righteous and God is going to judge and God is going to take care of this. So what is our attitude? What should our attitude be about God? As we wait for these things to happen, we are to wait on the Lord. You'll see it. You'll see it there in, in different places. And that first, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We will wait for him. We wait on the Lord. But I want you to understand, this waiting does not mean that I just stand still. It's not like you're waiting for a bus and you didn't bring anything to read, so you just stand there waiting for it to happen, for the bus to come along. That is not what this is talking about. Waiting for the Lord is not slothful or lethargic. I would argue that to do so is blasphemy. If we're, we're truly going to wait on God, it's to burn with this passion for God. It's to, to long to be with Him. To long to be in His kingdom. Serving His will with a desire to do so. And with an expectation and with action. See, I, I'm afraid in the church today, we, it's become too easy to not be active in our waiting. I just want to sit here and wait till He comes. I'm going to, or, I'm going to go build my bunker in my backyard, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna store up food for the next 20 years, and I'm just gonna wait for everybody else to, to mess things up, and then I'm gonna wait for God to come. That's not what we're supposed to do. That is not waiting on the Lord. That's being slothful. That's being lazy. But there's this general feeling of malaise over the church. We have the answer to the problems in this world. The problems of this world is the fact that it's the world, and it's human, and it's going to go away. We have the answer. The answer is Christ. 
And yet we, how can we just sit and not do anything about it? How can we sit and not tell someone we know is going to spend eternity in hell separated from God? How can we not tell them about Jesus? At least tell them who he is. Then let them decide whether or not they're going to believe or not. You don't force them to do it, but how can we not do that? Because if we measure our waiting by our lethargy, how lethargic we are, then we're doing a pretty darn good job of waiting for God as a church. And I don't just mean us, I mean the church in general. We've been, we've been filled with princes of lethargy and, and expecting the professionals to do the job. Well, the missionaries are out doing it. Oh, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. It's not about the gift of evangelism. You know what the gift of evangelism is? I'm able to teach other people to evangelize. We're all supposed to be evangelizing. There's no excuse. And we'll have to answer for that one day when we, if we, or God puts someone in front of us and we're supposed to share Christ, even say, do you know Jesus? That's all you got to say. And if we don't do it, we'll have to answer for it because all of us are supposed to be sharing the gospel. But we want the professionals and we want the church to serve our needs and then we complain when our needs and our desires go unfulfilled. I'm not saying it happens here. I'm just saying that is the general outlook of what the church is today. In Ecclesiastes, the writer wrote, Ecclesiastes 3, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We have things to do. Down in verse 12 of the same chapter, it says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. We're not supposed to stop until we're done. And be joyful about it. We, don't, we never retire from doing good in our lives. Now, granted, the good I did when I was 20 years old, my body can't do now that I'm 55. I'm learning that. I can't go out and work two days straight building a house at 55 like I could when I was 20. But that doesn't mean I still can't do good. I can do good when I'm 90. Visited Betty Sizemore this week. That woman does good, and she has a walker, and she probably does more, more good than I probably do in my day just by praying. It, there's things we can do. We just don't sit and wait and do nothing. God, God will give us the strength to persevere and continue the work he has for us to do. The reason, reason we can trust God and sing songs of praise and rejoice is because we can see God's power doing two things that, when he sets up his kingdom. He sets his hand on Zion. He puts his hand on Zion. This is a sign of his guiding and protective power over his people. You understand, God, God does not just set us out there. You know, it's like learning to swim. He doesn't just take us and throw us in the water and say, okay, sink or swim. No, he is the, he is the swim teacher who walk, takes us out there and holds us up as we swim. And then as we're going along, he takes his hands away, but he never leaves us. He's right there ready, ready to, to grab us if, if we can't. If we can't do it. He gives us the strength and the ability to do the work he has for us to do. And the second thing he does is he tramples down the prideful nation of Moab. 
And, there, and this is a metaphor. It, it, granted, he does destroy Moab, the Moabites, but it's, it's, it's a metaphor because the Moabites serve as the symbol of all those who, excluded, who are excluded from God's people. These are ones who don't trust in Christ. These are ones who don't trust in God. In Deuteronomy 23, when, when the Israelites are, are encountering the Moabites and God tells them, don't ever allow the Moabites in their assembly. Don't intermarry with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Why? Because God's going to destroy them. Because they are a symbol of those who do not trust in Christ and trust in the Lord. And the thing is that the Moabites were known for their excessive pride. And we've talked a lot about pride in Isaiah. So what are the implications of this? First of all, we need to come to the banquet. The messenger, the king, he's gone out. He's gone out and he's telling everyone about the wedding banquet that the Son of God has come. Don't ignore the invitation. Don't be like those in Matthew 22 when Jesus gave this parable. It says that they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. We need to look to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Save me. You shed your blood to save sinners like me, and you rose from the grave. Save me. We need to wake up every day and say, Lord, Help me. Forgive me as a sinner. Repent. Live a life of repentance. Show me, Lord, what I need to do today. Give me the strength to do it because I can't do it on my own. That should be our prayer every morning. And our prayer as we go to bed at night should be, Father, watch over me while I sleep. I need you, even in my sleep. Protect me. And if you believed and trusted in God years ago and you still believe in him today, but you become lethargic in your walk with Christ, remember what Christ told the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, we need to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him to, to, we need to live our life for Christ. We need to come to the banquet. We need to celebrate. We need to be happy. We need to be full of joy. There's nothing worse than, a, than an unjoyful Christian. I don't mean we don't ever be sad. Or we never, we're never melancholy. I'm all the time. But be honest with you, when I start thinking about who I am in Christ, what Jesus has done for me, I can't help but to stand up and leap for joy. And if I tell someone about it, I should be doing that too. I should be saying, you will, you will believe how amazing God is. And in that process, don't get angry at people. But pray for them. Share the truth of the gospel and pray that people's hearts are going to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And yes, we do. We need to wait on him. But it's marked with action, not inaction. Not slothfulness. We need to rejoice in God's transformational resurrection victory. We need to rejoice in the fact that God has victory over death. Death will be no more. We will see the ones we've lost. It'll be a great time of rejoicing. But we don't just wait at the bus stop for the bus to come. 
we actively seek Christ and seek to do what he has the work for us to do till the day he calls us home. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.